The following podcast is brought to you by the BICBP Radio Network. Podcasters, a network D&D adventure. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Podcasters. I am your DM for today, Anthony Mullen. Uh, As you can tell by the title of this episode, we are not jumping into another campaign uh, today. We are currently on a little bit of a hiatus for my personal campaign and Greg is still in the middle of writing his campaign that we're going to be hopefully starting soon. Uh, we're currently working out and figuring out how we're going to both probably DM from social dis- social distancing through Skype and probably a Roll20. But until we get that figured out, uh, we figured, well, you know, better put out some other content and what better than to go through some unearthed arcana. So today we're going to be kicking off the podcaster's unearthing arcana and i thought it'd be awesome to jump into the spells and magic tattoo that just dropped a couple days ago um i started reading over a lot of the stuff and i'm gonna i'm gonna break it up into about three parts first we're gonna go over the new spells that are introduced then i'm gonna go over the spells in depthly Uh, i'm gonna basically talk about their features and the part of their casting we're going to take a break, and then we're going to jump into the magical tattoo stuff, which is brand new to me. So we'll see how that goes, and it looks very fun. Uh, so let's dive right in. Let's dive right in. Uh, so it says that this document provides a magical miscellany, new spells, and new types of magic item magic tattoos. Oh, and a new type of magic item, magic tattoos. Most of the spells focus on alternative styles summoning, conjuring forth the spirit that assumes a physical form you customize to suit the situation. And, of course, this is playtest material. So, basically, if uh, you want to use this with some of your playing as a character or some of your spells, you can't use this in Adventuring League or, like, D&D official events that they put on at different gaming stores. But this is all open up to uh, homebrew content and home sessions, you know, try and really test out. And then if you go to, like, wizardsofthecoast.com, they actually have polls where you can give your opinion and vote on what you did and didn't like. Um, So, let's go through the spells. I'm going to break down all the different classes and the spells they get. I will tell you what level. And then I'm going to go through the spell list. So the spells. We have a Bard spells. They get a third level Summon Fey Spirit. Druid spells. They get a second level Summon Bestial Spirit. They get a third level Summon Fey Spirit. They get a fourth level Summon Elemental Spirit. The Cleric gets a third level Spirit Shroud. Gets a fifth level Summon Celestial Spirit. And then gets a sixth level otherworldly transmutation uh the paladin gets the third level spirit shroud as well gets a fifth level summon celestial spirit the ranger gets the second level summon bestial spirits sorcerer gets a first level acid stream that's cool third level summon face spirit they get to summon a shadow spirit fourth level summon aberrant spirit summon elemental spirit and then they also get the sixth level otherworldly form That's a really kind of cool transmutation spell. The Warlock gets a third level Spirit Shroud. They get to summon Fae Spirit. They can also get the summon Shadow Spirit and summon Undead Spirit. Fourth level, they can summon an Aberrant Spirit. At sixth level, they get the Otherworldly Form and summon Fiendish Spirit. That's cool. And the Wizard gets a first level Acid Stream, third level Spirit Shroud, summon Fae Spirit, summon Shadow Spirit, summon Undead Spirit. Fourth level, summon Aberrant Spirit, summon Elemental Spirit, and then the sixth level, uh, Otherworldly Forms, and the Summon Fiendish Spirit. That's actually really, you know, it's a wizard, it's going to get a bunch of them, so. That's all the different spells for all the different classes, and so I'm going to go through all these for, uh, through all these spells. I'll say that when I was reading through them before, the summoning spells are very repetitive, so I am going to kind of break them down a little differently, 
but I'll explain that further when we get to it. So until then, I'm going to go through these spells and try and uh, condense them as much as I can without being repetitive and giving unnecessary content. So it's the Acid Stream. It's a first level spell, evocation. Uh, it's an action to cast it. Uh, it's a concentration up for up to a minute, and it says it's a stream of acid that emanates you from a line within 30 feet long, uh, 5 feet wide in a direction of your choice. A uh, creature must save on a deck save or be covered in acid for the spell's duration until a creature uses its action to scrape or wash the acid off itself or another creature. A uh, creature covered in the acid takes 3d4 acid damage at the start of its turns. That's a nice hefty um, damage dice, you know, 3d4, that's not bad. Uh, again, when you cast it at a higher level above second, uh, for each spell slot, it increases by 1d4 damage. It's not bad. Next is the Otherworldly Form. This is the level 6 uh, transmutation spell. Very nice. It uh, takes an action to cast it. And I will say that this one, is it worth... Uh, it does have a component of at least 500 gold piece. It's an, uh, see, it says it's a concentration up to a minute. Uttering incantations, you draw on the magic of the lower planes or the upper planes to transform yourself. You gain the following benefits until the spell ends. So that's something that's really nice with a bunch of these new spells that are coming through. Is that there's uh, usually a component to uh, there's a component to the spell where it either is you you choose a form of what you're summoning or what you're casting, and it determines the benefits and perks of that. So with this one, you get the benefits on either an upper or lower planes. And they are, uh, you are immune to fire and poison damage if you chose the lower planes. If you chose the upper planes, it's radiant and necrotic damage. You're immune to poisoned, you are immune to the poison condition if you chose the lower planes. If you chose the upper planes, you are immune to the charm condition. You also get spectral wings on your back and it gives you a, spli uh, it gives you a fly speed of 40 feet. Plus you have a plus two to your AC and all your weapon attacks are magical, and when you make a weapon attack, you can use your spellcasting modifier instead of the strength or dex for the attack and damage roll. Does it say you have to or you can't? Yeah, you can, so you don't have to. That's still kind of cool, so like, I don't know if you take this as a cleric. Could be good, depending on how strong you are or not. Also, you can attack twice instead of once when you take the attack action on your turn. You ignore the benefit if you already have the feature like extra attack that gives you and gives you extra attacks. It's really cool. Uh, Spirit Shroud. Third level necromancy spell. It's a bonus action to cast. That's very nice. Bonus action spell. Concentration up to a minute. You call forth spirits of the dead, which uh, which flit around you for the spell's duration. The spirits are intangible and invulnerable, and they are good or evil. Your choice. When the spell ends, any attacks you make deal 1d8 extra damage when you hit a creature within 10 feet of you. The damage is radiant if they're good and necrotic if they're evil. Any creatures that take damage can't regain its hit points until the start of your next turn. In addition, any creature of your choice that you can see that starts its turn within 10 feet of you has its speed reduced by 10 feet until the start of your next turn. Again, when you cast a spell at a higher level, it increases by a d8 for each level. So now we're going to jump into the summoning spells. And I tried to do this before, and I realized it went way too long. So to make this as quick as possible, I'm going to just start off and say that with the summoning spirit spells, with all the summoning spells, they all share the same mechanics as far as the creature being friendly to you. So I'll tell you that right now to get through with it so I'm not repeating it every time. Um, if the creature is friendly to you and your companions for the spell's duration in combat, the creature take the creature shares your initiative count, but it takes its turn immediately after yours. It obeys ver verbal commands that you issue to it. No action required by you. If you don't issue any, it defends itself, but otherwise takes no actions. Okay. Um, also, along with the end, uh, all the spirits that you summon, they all come with the stat blocks, and the stat blocks are all really the same as far as the class, uh, the armor class and the hit points. And those are determined for all these spirits. It says that the armor class is 11, plus your spellcasting ability modifier plus 10 times the spell's level, okay? Um, so I'm going to go through a bunch of these summoning spells. They are a little hefty. A lot of them are, uh, there's different forms that they all take, and they all give a little feature or a different uh, variant to their attack. They can be definitely utilized in many different situations. So let's get into it. So summon Aberrant Spirit, this is the fourth level. Um, I'll also say all these spells, from that I can tell, that all the casting times are one action, um, I'm almost thinking all of them have a spell range of 90 feet to cast a spell. 
I'm just scrolling through them. Yeah, they all have a spell range of 90 feet to cast a spell. And I'll also say that, um, so I'll also say that the spirit uh, that you summon manifests physically in an unoccupied space that you can see within range. The corporeal form uses whatever spirit block that you're summoning and takes on the form that you choose between it. And then also with all the creatures that you can summon or all the spirits that you can summon, the creatures disappear when it drops to zero hit points or when the spell ends. Um, all right. So uh, another another rule of thumb between all these spirit summonings or all these summon spirits that you can uh, cast. When you cast the spells at a higher level, the slot, the creature assumes the higher level for that casting uh, wherever it uses the spell levels in its stat block as well. So let's jump into this now. This is the Summon uh, Aberrant Spirit. Okay, and I'll say this one has a component. Uh, they all have components of ver verbal, somatic, and material. Uh, what I will say in between all these differences, I'll tell you what the gold piece is, what, uh, what the gold piece cost material component is uh, forth from it. So for the Aberrant Spirit, it's a 400 gold piece cost material. Um, it says you call forth spirit from the far realm or from another alien realm of madness. And when you cast a spell, you choose Beholderkin, Sladi, or a Star Spawn. And uh, with the with the stat block, here's the differences between it. It says that uh, the Beholder actually has a fly speed as well as a walking speed of 30 feet. That's cool. All of them are immune to psychic damage, and they have uh, dark vision up to 90 feet. Uh, dark vision up to 60 feet. They understand deep speech and the languages that you speak. The Saladi has a re uh, regeneration feature, and it says the aberration gains 10 hit points at the start of its turn if it has at least one hit point. The Star Spawn has a whispering aura feature, and it says that at the start of each of the aberrations' turn, each creature within five feet of it must succeed on a wisdom saving throw against the spell save DC or take 3d6 psychic damage, provided that the aberration isn't incapacitated. And then it can do uh, actions. Uh, quick side note as well. A lot of the actions that all of them can do is a multi-attack and the rule is the same. They can do a number of multi-attacks equal to half of the spell levels rounded down. So that means if this is cast at fourth level, half of that is two rounded down. It's already a two. Um, so let's say I cast it at fifth level. Half of five is three rounded down is two. So it can still do two. So if I want to cast... So if I want to take three multi-attacks, I would have to cast this at a 6th level or higher. Or I'd have to cast this at 6th or 7th level. So on, so on. Um, so the different multi-attacks also usually differ between which form the spirit takes. So if it took the Beholderkin, it does an eye ray attack. And this is a ranged spell attack, so it's a little bit, bit of a perk to it. Um, they uh, each stat block comes with a different uh, attack plus to hit, attack bonus to hit. Um, I feel it's a little repetitive to to, re to read that through, but so the Beholderkin does an eye ray attack and it does one d eight plus three uh, of the spell level psychic damage. It's really nice. The Saladi does claws, which is a melee weapon attack, and this does one d ten plus three plus a spell level slashing damage. This is where it's cool. So it's kind of trade-off. If you, if you take the melee attack and come in close rather than stay at a ranged, that if it hits and the target is a creature, it can't regain hit points until the start of the aberrations next turn. It's kind of trade-off if you want the range for a melee. And then also the star spawn can do a psychic slam attack, and this is a melee spell attack. And on a hit, it does 1d6 plus 3 plus a spell level psychic damage. Next up is the summon bestial spirit. It's a second level conjuration spell. Uh, the material component is uh, worth 200 gold piece, and it says you call for it the, the spirit of a beast, and it chooses between a form of an environment. So you either choose an air, land, or water. It's going to resemble an animal of your choice that is native to the chosen environment, and this also determines a different um, feature in the stat block as far as their movement, as well as a bit of their little features for their, uh, for their trait. Um, so it is a small beast, so it's a little tiny, so it's tiny, so it's probably like a cat or, you know, like a raccoon or like a fish or a bird or maybe like a, like a falcon, nothing big, nothing large. And it has dark vision of 60 feet and it understands languages you speak, so that's really nice. 
Uh, if you chose a water element environment, it's an amphibious, and it says the bees can breathe air and water. If you chose an air element, uh, like a bird or something, it has the ability called flyby, which the beast doesn't provoke opportunity attacks when it flies out of an enemy's reach. It's kind of cool. And then if it, you chose either land or water, it also gains a pack tactics feature, and that is the beast has advantage on attack rolls against a creature fit. At least one of the beast's allies is within five feet of the creature, and the ally isn't incapacitated. That's pretty cool. I'd say uh, I personally actually have never uh, fought with anything that has pack, doc- pack tactics. That's actually kind of cool. Then also it can take the actions, multi-attack, and it's a maul melee weapon attack. It counts as and does 1d8 plus 4 plus the spell level's piercing damage. It's kind of cool. Next up is the Summoned Celestial Spirit, 5th level conjuration. And the material component uh, that really is going to cost it is 500 gold piece. It says you call forth the spirit from the upper planes. And uh, the corporeal form uses a Celestial Spirit stat block below. And when you cast it, you choose either the Avenger or Defender. And that stat block over here, it says this is a large Celestial. It's going to take fl- uh, take form as. And it gains a speed of 30 feet plus a fly speed of 40 feet. It's really nice. It's uh, damage resistant to Radiant. It conditions immunity to Charmed and Frightened. Uh, has 60 feet passive, uh, 60 feet dark vision as well. Um, it can make, uh, let's see, it makes a multi attack, so it does, so, it, <clears throat> so it's uh, damage resistant to radiant. Uh, it's immune to charmed or being frightened. It speaks celestial, understands the same language as you. It has dark vision for 60 feet. For the actions, it does multi-attacks, and if you hit, pick the Avenger, you do the Radiant Bow, which is a ranged weapon attack, and it has a short range of 150 feet, long range of 600 feet, and on a hit, it does, on one target, it hits a 2d6 plus 2 plus a spell level's Radiant Damage, and that's kind of cool, and then uh, if you chose a Defender, it does a melee weapon attack, and this does a... It's a five-foot range to hit. It does 1d10 plus three plus a spell level's radiant damage. And the Celestial celestial can choose itself or one other creature can see within 10 feet of the target. The chosen creature gains temporary hit points equal to the damage dealt, provided it doesn't already have temporary hit points. That's really cool. I like that a feature. And then it looks like both forms can also do the healing touch once per day. So basically, summon it for an hour, boom, you get this. And it's uh, when the Celestial touches another creature, the target magically regains hit points equal to 2d8 plus the spell levels it's nice this little uh little pick me up next up we have the summon elemental spirit it's a fourth level conjuration material component worth is really uh 400 gold piece it says you call forth from the elemental planes and uh let's see it take it takes form using a uh, elemental spirit uh you choose an element either the air earth fire or water Guess you kind of go, uh, what, Avatar style, I guess, on this? It says the creature physically resembles a vaguely humanoid form uh, wreathed in the chosen element. Okay. So the different element stat blocks, or I'm sorry, so the element stat block right here, it says it's a medium elemental. And so it gets a speed of 40 feet. If it's an air, it can hover to a, f- to a fly speed of 40 feet. If you chose the earth elemental... It has a burrow speed of 40 feet, and if uh, you chose water elemental, it has a swim speed of 40 feet. That's cool. Uh, resistance. So if it's an air elemental, it's a resistant to lightning and thunder damage. If it's an earth elemental, it's resistant to piercing and slashing. Water, it's resistant to acid. If it's a fire, it's immune to fire and poison damage. Um, condition immunities for all of them is exhaustion, paralyzation, uh, petrification, poisoned, and unconscious has 60 feet of dark vision. See, it speaks primordial in its languages as you. So now the air, fire, and water have amorphous form, and it says the element can move through a space as narrow as one inch wide without squeezing. And then it makes a slam melee attack, and it does 1d10 plus 4 plus spell levels bludgeoning damage if it's an air, earth, or water. If it's a fire elemental, it does a fire damage instead, which is really cool. I like the trade-off. Next is the summoning fate or next is summon fae spirit, third level conjuration spell. The gold piece material component is uh, three hundred gold piece. Not bad. It says you call forth the spirit from the fae wild, and you choose the mood of it. So it's either deceitful, furious, or joyful, and it resembles a sitar, a dryad, or an elf. 
your choice marked by the chosen mood. It's kind of cool. And the stat block right down here says it, uh, it is a small fey. It's chaotic good. And it has a speed of 40 feet. It is immune to the charmed condition. Has dark vision of up to six. Dark vision of up to 60 feet. Can speak Sylvan. Understand the same languages as you. It has the ability to do a fey step. And it says as a bonus action, the fey can magically teleport up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space it can see. Now, if it's a deceitful one, it can do the darkening step. It says immediately after using its face step, the fae can fill a five-foot cube within five feet of it with magical darkness, which remains until the end of the fae's next turn. That's cool. If you choose a joyful one, it can do the ecstatic step, which it says immediately after using its face step, the fae can choose a creature which it can see within 10 feet of it and force it to succeed on a wisdom saving throw against your spell save DC or be charmed by the fae for one minute. The charm ends if the Fey or any of its companions deals any damage to the target. So that does mean that your party can't deal damage to it. But that's not that bad of a that's not that bad of a tactic. That's kind of cool to pull out. That's actually a good resource. You know, kind of pop the spell to use him as an ally in combat. But then while you're at it, last resort, charm him if he's the last one. Tie him up, keep him secured. You know, then you can hit him knock him out of the charm or just maybe while he's charmed to uh, convince him to listen to you or pop up the pop the fey as a spell use them as a distraction and just lead him off it's kind of cool um because i mean it can be an elf so it's not exactly magical creature-ish next up is the summon fiendish spirit six level conjuration spell and the material component is a 600 gold piece it says you call forth this fiendish spirit from the lower planes, and it takes form as either a demon, devil, or a yugoloth. And the stat block, it tells us the difference. Oh, this is a really nice big stat block. So this is a hefty one. It says that the large fiend, uh, it's a chaotic evil if it's a demon only. If it's a loth, it's lawful evil, it's a devil only, and neutral evil if it's a yugoloth only. Uh, it says that it has a speed of 40 feet, a climb feet of 40 feet if it's a demon, 60 foot fly foot, uh, 60 foot fly speed if it's a devil. I guess the Yugloth only gets the, uh, the walking speed of 40 foot. It has damage resistance to fire. It's immune to poison. It's immune to the poison condition as well as it has dark vision of up to 60 feet. And it knows the language of either Abyssal, Infernal, or... Oh, no. It knows the languages of Abyssal, Infernal, and Telepathy of up to 60 feet. It has magic resistance, and uh, the Fiend has advantage on saving throws against any spells and other magical effects. The Demons have an ability called Death Throws, and says when the Fiend drops to zero hit points or the spell ends, a Fiend explodes, and each creature within 10 feet of it must make a Dexterity saving throw against your spell save DC. A creature takes 2d10... Plus, this spell's level fire damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. The devils have the ability of devil sight, which is really cool. Get to see a magical darkness, and it doesn't impede on the fiend's dark vision. Really, really nice. It says, uh, for the actions of the multi-attacks, the different races uh, can do. So the demons have a bite attack that they can do. It's a 1d12 plus 3 plus the spell level's necrotic damage. It's cool. Yugloths can make a claw attack, and it's a 1d8 plus 3... Plus the spell's level slashing damage, and it says immediately after the spell's attack, hit or misses, the fiend can magically teleport up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space it can see. That's really cool. That's a nice trade-off. Yugoloth really doesn't get a climb speed or a fly speed, uh, really doesn't have any extra perks for his, from being able to see magical darkness or uh, exploding, but it can just kind of bamf out of, out of the space. Nightcrawler style, I like that. And it says the uh, devil has the ability to, or has the attack of hurling flame, and it's a range spell attack, a uh, range of 150 feet. And on a hit, it does 1d6 plus 3 plus the spell level's fire damage. It says if the target is a flammable object that isn't being worn or carried, it also catches on fire. It's kind of cool. Next up, we have the Summon Shadow Spirit, it's a third level conjuration spell. Material component is 300 gold pieces, and it says you call forth the shadowy spirit from the shadow fell, and you choose an emotion, either a fury, despair, or fear. The creature physically resembles a misshapen humanoid marked by the chosen emotion. Okay. 
So the stat block lets us know that it's a medium monstrosity, neutral evil, and it has a speed of 40 feet. Its damage resistances are necrotic, and its commune uh, and its condition immunities are frightened. It has dark vision of up to 120 feet. That's kind of cool. A little bit different, a little bit nicer. Uh, language that knows common in the same languages as you speak. It says that if you choose the furry only, it gets a bloodthirsty frenzy, and the spirit has advantage on attack rolls against frightened creatures. If you choose the fear only, it gets the ability called Shadow Stealth, and it says while in dim light or darkness, the creature can take the hide action as a bonus action. Or if you choose the despair only, gets the ability Weight of Ages. And says, any beast or humanoid other than you that starts its turn within five feet of the spirit has its speed reduced by 20 feet until the start of that beast or humanoid's next turn. For the actions, it gets the multi-attack, and it says that it does the Chilling Rend, which is a melee attack. And on a hit, it takes 2d8 plus 3 plus the spell level's cold damage. That's kind of cool. And it also has the ability to do a dreadful scream once per day. And it says the spirit screams. Each creature within 30 feet of it must succeed on a wisdom saving throw against your spell, save DC, or be frightened from the spirit for one minute. The frightened creature can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on itself on a success. Last up is the summon undead spirit. So this is a third level necromancy spell. Uh, and the gold piece material component is 300. So 300 gold piece for this material. So it says you call for the spirit from beyond the grave, and it takes the form of either a ghostly, putrid, or a skeletal. So the stat block lets us know that the differences between these are the this. So it's a medium, undead, neutral, evil. It gets a 30 feet. It gets a speed of 30 feet walking, and then also the ghost gets a 40 foot uh, fly speed. But it says hover only, so I don't know exactly how how high that is or not. It says that they are immune to uh, necrotic and poison damage. It's immune to the conditions of exhaustion, frightened, paralyzed, poisoned. It gets a dark vision for 60 feet. It can speak common and understand the languages that you speak. It says the ghosts can only do the incorporeal movement. It says the undead can become incorporeal while moving through and passing through another creature's objects as if they were difficult terrain. If it ends its turn inside an object, it is shunted to the nearest unoccupied space and takes 1d10 force damage for every feet traveled. For every 5 feet traveled. And then the putrid can do the festering aura. It says any creature other than you that starts its turn within five feet of the undead must succeed on a constitution saving throw against your spell save DC or be poisoned until the start of the next turn. It's not that bad. It says the, uh, for the multi-attacks, it says the ghost can do the deathly touch and it says it's a melee attack hit. It says on a hit it does 1d8 plus 3 plus a spell level's necrotic damage and the creature must succeed on a wisdom saving throw until... Must succeed on a wisdom saving throw against your spell save DC or become frightened until the end of the un- or become frightened of the undead until the end of the target's next turn. The skeletal can do the grave bolt, and this is cool. This is a ranged spell attack, and it has a range of 150 feet, and on a hit it does 2d8 plus 3 plus a spell level's necrotic damage. And then the putrid can do a melee attack, and it if it hits, it does a 1d6 plus 3 plus a spell level slashing damage. Also, if the target is poisoned, it must succeed on a constitution saving throw against your spell save DC or be paralyzed until the end of its next turn. So if you come up on it with the putrid, it's already affected by the festering aura, and you hit it now with the rotting claw, paralyze the target, go to town with your character, get natural 20s for days, guys. So that's some of the new spells. Some actually really cool, uh, really nice ideas. I like the otherworldly transformation. I think that's kind of cool, kind of... Uh, Take the, uh, cast that as a wizard, maybe kind of gain a fly speed or gain like an extra bump up of a spell or gain like a nice buffer. Fly, use one action to cast a buff spell and then cast the next one to like launch a massive fireball from the sky. Go Goku Sun style. But uh, it's really cool spells, really nice. I like them. I hope that these are some of the new spells that we're going to see kind of come through within the, uh, the Odyssey of Theros, I think it's called. I really hope. Um, I'm excited. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and jump into the magic tattoos. Hi there, everybody. Matt Johnson here of the BICBP Radio Network and the Podcast Precinct, where this and many other great podcasts are being broadcast out of. I wanted to give a quick shout-out 
to our official sponsor, uh, Fat Man's Pizza, located at 2712 Niagara Falls Boulevard in Tonawanda, New York. They serve great pizza, subs, wings, and so much more food. And our good friend Jeff there has been taking care of us. We want to take care of him and send you, our listeners, his way. They're open Tuesday through Sunday, 11 a.m. to 9 p.m., uh, make sure you stop in or give them a call for delivery if you live in the area. 716-693-7477. All right, guys, and we're back. Uh, quick commercial. Uh, head over to the network, then check out some of the other shows. You know, Greg does the Squad Wipe, ga- Greg does the Squad Wipe Gaming Podcast. He also does the panel discussion. I also do Vinyl Divers. And we have a bunch of other cool podcasts. You know, check out History Creeps. Check out Harley Kayfabe. Check out the Two Point Conversation, Seven Wing Six. Um, let's talk. Okay, but no politics. Retro Blist, Retro Pop. There's a whole bunch of shows on the on the network at bicbp-radio.com. Go check them out. Uh, you know, I say go right to the show page or go to the podcast page. Hit link. Scroll up and down. Stop it. Click on a random link. Listen to an episode of a show. Give it a shot. But now that's out of the way, guys, we're gonna get into this theme: magic tattoos. Now, when I first got into uh, getting ready to DM, I was in the middle of watching the uh, Criti- Matt Mercer's second season of Critical Role as, he's a, as he was introducing the tattooing ideas with Orly. Like, earlier on in. And instantly, I was like, oh, that'd be really fun to do. And I'm thinking of, like, man, how would I have a tattoo shop be, like, in, like, I'm thinking, like, large-scale city. Not, like, sailor-style like Sailor Jerry tattoo, I'm thinking like punk rocker style, like tattoo tattoo club. And uh, I saw some stuff on the DMs Guild and online and through some homebrew content, but to see that, I'm sure that this was coming because of the new uh, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount that just came out from Critical Role on D&D uh, on Wizards of the Coast as a new setting. I'm sure that that's where this magic tattoo kind of idea came from. I'm really glad to see it's pushing into this direction because it's a cool concept. It's a cool idea. And so basically what it is is that magic tattoos, it says that blending magic and artistry with ink and needles, magic tattoos imbue their bearers with wondrous effects and abilities. The magic tattoos are initially bound to a magic needle which transfer their magic to a creature, kind of like tattooing on the skin. So as uh, the designs of the magic tattoos are greatly vary greatly in appearance depending on who created it, but they share a general characteristics that hint of the effect of the tattoo. Once inscribed on a creature's skin, uh, damage or injury doesn't impair on the, the tattoo's function, even if the tattoo is defaced. The rarer the magic of the tattoo is, the more space it occupies on the creature's skin. It even comes with this little chart. Common tattoo it takes up to six inches of area covered. Uncommon tattoo rarity, half a limb or a scalp. A rare tattoo is a full limb. A very rare spell or magic is going to take two limbs or the chest or upper back. Legendary is two limbs and the torso. So th- this is definitely a commitment to attune to one of these. But really cool is that the way this works, and again, uh, to try and condense this so I'm not repeating the same thing every time, is that the tattoo attunement works in this sense. It says, to attune to this item, you hold the needle to your skin where you want the tattoo to appear. Pressing the needle there throughout the attunement process, when the attunement is complete, the needle turns into the ink that becomes the tattoo, which appears on the skin. If you have multiple magic tattoos, they count as a single magic item with regards to the number of magic items you can attune to. If your attunement to the tattoo ends, the tattoo vanishes and the needle appears in the closest unoccupied space to you. So the way this works is that a tattoo, when you get a tattoo that essentially becomes a one attunement. I haven't got, I, I started to scroll through these. I don't want to, I kind of really want these to be first impressions of these tattoos because I'm so excited to check these out. But, um, okay, so it looks like there are certain ones that do require attunement and certain ones that do not require attunement. So for the ones that do require attunement, then they all, when you get a tattoo, it counts as a single item. So if you get, 10, t- 10 tattoos that are all attunement, it all counts as one attunement as far as being able to attune to three magical items as a character, which is kind of cool, but also kind of stinks because we know we all love those plus one, plus two, plus three swords or attacks with our weapons, plus those plus one or plus two armors. The tattoos can kind of give you a bunch of cool effects, but it's a nice trait. It's it's a 
it's a trade-off which what is worth it but let's get into this uh i'm gonna go through and talk about the tattoo i'll let you know what the type of tattoo it is uh if it's a wondrous and uh, what the rarity is it and is and if it requires attunement and i'll tell you the ability of it okay guys so it says this is the absorbing tattoo it's wondrous and very rare requires attunement it says uh the tattoo incorporates designs that emphasize one color more than others. Uh, while the tattoo is on your skin, you have resistance to a type of damage associated with that color shown on the table below. So there's a table you can roll randomly or the DM can have it uh, preset or determined specifically. And it's a damage type paired up with colors. I'll go through this real, real quick. So it says acid is paired up with green. Cold is paired up with blue. Fire is with red. Force is with white. Lightning is with yellow. Necrotics with black. Poisons with violet, uh, psychics with silver, radiance with gold, thunders with orange. Interesting. I like it. It says they can do damage absorption. So it says when you take damage of the chosen type, of the chosen type, you can use your reaction to gain immunity against the that instance of the damage, and you are gaining a number of hit points equal to half the damage you would have taken. So that's kind of cool. So let's say you have the fire resistance. You can take a blast of fireball from a dragon, activate that tattoo, boom. Instead of taking the damage, you gain that fire damage back. You gain that fire half that fire damage as hit points. That's kind of cool. I like that already. Now that is a, a wondrous, so uh, it's very rare. So that would take up like, I mean, I guess maybe what a nice idea would be, uh, like I don't know what like dragon claws on your hands or maybe it says it says here that there is a variant body mod body modification you could do which is like skin adornment or alteration so kind of like on critical role where not had her face kind of like molded and shimmered and shifted when she was a god as a as a goblin so um I don't know, maybe that would count as piercings too. It says, uh, this this counts as brands, scarification, birthmarks, patterns, scales, other cosmetic skin adornments. Um, that'd be kind of cool. Kind of something dragon related or another creature related. Maybe like dragon, maybe like a dragon face on your back to take the hit of the fireball. It says, uh, barrier tattoo. This is a wondrous item. Uh, rarity varies, requires attunement. So it says the tattoo depicts protective imagery and uses ink that resembles liquid metal. While you aren't wearing armor, the tattoo grants you an armor class depending on the tattoo's rarity. As shown as below, you can use a shield and still gain this benefit. That's cool. It says the rarity is uncommon, rare, and very rare. And the AC is plus uh, 12 plus your dex. For uncommon, rare is, plus 15, is 15 plus your dex with a maximum of plus 2. And then very rare is an 18. So... I mean, this is a way to get some heavy armor AC, like, off the bat. Like, oh, man, that's really nice. I mean, this is a nice way to bump up your AC easily, especially if, like, you want to go as a monk and you don't want to have to wear any armor and you just want to have that natural high dex where you can throw an actual, like, really bump up it up, bump it up here. It's not bad. I like that idea. And, it, and if you want, starting off something early, have it as an uncommon rarity. Just bump it up naturally and then, you know, maybe go back and unattune to it. Cool. Next up is the Coiling Grasp Tattoo. This is a wondrous item. Uncommon. Uh, requires attunement. Tattoo it has long intertwining designs. While the tattoo is on your skin, you can, as an, as an action, cause a tattoo to extrude into inky tendrils. While which reach for a creature you can see within 15 feet of you, the creature must succeed on a DC 15 strength saving thrower take 3d6 force damage and be grappled by you as an action the creature can escape the grapple by succeeding on a successful 14 dc strength save uh for athletics or dc of acrobatics check the grapple also ends early if you halt it no action required that's nice if the creature is ever more than 15 feet away from you or if you use it the tattoo on a different creature very cool very cool it's nice i like this so because your attunements, they're not making you do like a once per day type of thing. They're really like letting you use this as a nice wondrous item that, you know, it's it's not like a waste to use it. Next up is the Elder Claw Tattoo. It says the tattoo uh, is a wondrous item and uncommon, requires attunement. The tattoo depicts a claw-like form and other jagged shapes while the tattoo is on your skin. Your unarmed stripes are considered magical for the purpose of overcoming immunity and resistance to non-magical attacks. You gain a plus one to bonus 
you gain a plus one bonus to attacks and damage rolls with unarmed strikes. I like this. It says the Eldritch Maul, as a bonus action, you can empower the tattoo for one minute. For the duration, each of your melee attacks uh, can reach a target up to 30 feet away from you as tendrils of ink launch from your weapon or unarmed strike toward the target. In addition, your melee attacks deal an extra 1d6 force damage on a hit. Once used, this bonus action can't be used again until the next dawn. Okay. Hmm. So I wonder, so... In, let's see. Well, the tattoos are just going to consider magical for the purpose and the bullshit action you can... So this is cool. So basically, the tattoo will let you... It's always active. And if you want, as a bonus action, you can then activate the Eldritch Mall once per day. That's cool. Till the next dawn. I like that. That's a neat tack. So the next, the next tattoo is a Blood Fairy tattoo. This is a wondrous item tattoo, legendary attunement... Uh, legendary requires a two minutes as the tattoo invokes fury in its form and colors while this tattoo is on your skin you've gained the following benefits so this is just a standard benefit it says your attack roll scores a critical hit on a d20 roll of 19 or 20 that's awesome that is the uh, champions uh, fighter subclass that's a perk that they gets right in so I mean you I don't think you'll yeah it says here you don't get up to that 18 or 20 critical that like that capstone type perk that it would get the superior critical of, the, of that subclass but let's say you chose a fighter of a different subclass and you kind of wish you could have i don't know multi-class into two subclasses it's kind of a way to kind of get that perk as well i really like that it says also when you score a critical hit against a creature that target takes an extra 4d6 necrotic damage jeez that's a lot and you gain a number of temporary hit points equal to the necrotic damage dealt uh when a creature you can see damages you you can use your reaction to make a melee attack against that creature with advantage on your attack roll. This is awesome. This is an incredible attack. I really like... Uh, that's really cool. Wow. I want to get this tattoo for my character. <laughs> All right. Also, it says, uh, rule tip, temporary hit points don't stack. And it says, if you have temporary hit points, you're receiving it. So basically, this is that... Uh, the temporary hit points rule is that if you have a feature that already grants you temporary hit points and you already have, what is it? I think there's a warlock feature if it's a uh, pack with the fiend. Um, one of the one of the abilities is that when you attack a creature, you can when you deal certain damage, you can gain temporary hit points if with one of your invocations. Um, if you already gain hit points, like let's say you already gain five hit points from that feature. You can't use the Blood Fairy feature to gain hit points on top of that. You can't stack them, so it's got to take one or the other. Um, unless the feature lets you, says specifically that you can do that, which I don't know of any of them that do. There's also a temporary rule about... There's also a rule about the AC calculations not stacking for the previous uh, tattoo, the barrier tattoo. It says that when the... When the game gives you more than one ways to calculate your armor class, you can only use one of them. So you either choose the barrier tattoo or the armor you're physically wearing. One of the two. So, uh, you know, that's kind of like the perks of why the monk or why a wizard could get this tattoo rather than, uh, ra rather than like wearing armor itself, physically or physical armor. But anyway... So let's go back to this. So next up after the Blood Fairy tattoo is the Illuminator's tattoo. This is a wondrous item. It's a common rarity. And it says the tattoo contains beautiful calligraphy, images of writing implements and the like. While this tattoo is on your skin, you can write with your fingertips as if they were pen, pen ink that never runs out of ink. As an action, you can touch a piece of writing up to one page of length and speak a creature's name. The writing becomes visible to everyone other than you and the named creature for the next 24 hours. That's kind of cool. So I don't know what leaving like secret messages. It's very interesting. It's, I mean, it's very niche of an ability. But in those instances that you want to leave a message for someone very specific, this is that tattoo. This is one of those abilities that in that moment, this is when it this is when it is gonna kick in and why this is necessary. Um it says you either of you can dismiss the invisibility by touching the scripture. No uh, action is required. Other use uh once used this acts once used this action can't be used until the next dawn. I wish something like this would be used more than once for an attunement spot and a tattoo. I mean, it is a common tattoo, so this is something simple. Like, you know, again, this isn't... I, I do like how Wizards has broken down the mechanics that these aren't permanent tattoos that 
you're attuned to for life. I do I do like how you can unattune to them and the when you unattune, they just become the needles again with the ink and they need to be reapplied. So this is something common. This is something small. You can kind of, I think it was this like one, a common tattoo is only six inches. So this is something quick. You just kind of pop right on your arm, right on your hand. This is a little six inch tattoo right on the hand. This is something nice to just have as a little trick if you're going to start attuning to tattoos. I can see this being useful. This is a nice idea. Um, next up is the Lifewell tattoo. This is a rare, rare attunement and it's a wondrous item, obviously. This is the tattoo comprises symbols of life and birth. While this tattoo is on your skin, you have resistance to necrotic damage. And you get the death ward. When you would uh, when you would be reduced to zero hit points, you drop to one hit points instead. Once used, this benefit can't be used until the next dawn. Okay, so basically you get the death ward, the, the death ward, uh, death ward, so basically, you just get the Death Ward spell uh, on you every day. Once per day, you get it. Just ready to go. That's nice. I, I'd have this and then cast this as much as I could after that. Nice. Uh, that's that's worth it for me. I, I'd say that's worth it, especially for a rare. It's not that bad. Rare is... Uh, rare would be one limb. Hell, make that make that be the... the, the maybe your neck and down into like part of your shoulder and arm no raven queen style something after vax maybe uh, i really like that it's actually cool the ghost step tattoo it's a wondrous item rare uh attunement it says the tattoo shifts and wavers on the skin parts of it appearing blurred the tattoo is three charges when it regains all expended charges daily so it says the tattoo is three charges and it regains all expended charges daily at dawn it's a bonus action. While the tattoo is on your skin, you expend one of the tattoo's charges to become incorporeal until the end of your next turn. For example, for the duration, you gain the for the duration you gain the following benefits: you have resistance to bludgeoning and piercing and slashing damage from non-magical attacks. You can't be grappled or restrained. You can move through creatures of solid objects as if they were difficult terrain. Again, if you end your turn inside of it, you take 1d10 force damage and you're shunted to the nearest object unoccupied space. You gain, uh, you take 1d4, 1d10 force damage for every 5 feet of space traveled. It's not that bad. It's kind of cool. Um, be kind of cool to kind of play as a ghost slayer. Uh, one of the, plays a blood hunter with a ghost step, ghost slayer. But yeah, it'd be neat to use. Maybe if, I don't know, I don't know if maybe it'd be kind of a little redundant to do that. Uh, next up is the masquerade tattoo. So the next, uh, this is a common tattoo, wondrous item. It does require attunement. It says the tattoo appears on your skin wherever you desire. As a bonus action, you can reshape the tattoo into any color or pattern and move it to any area of your skin. Whatever form it takes, it is always obviously a tattoo. It can range in size from no smaller than a copper piece to an intricate work of art that covers all of your skin. Uh, as a action, you can cast the Disguise Self spell. Once the spell is cast as a tattoo, it can't be cast from this uh, tattoo again until the next dawn. All right, so basically you get to do a Disguise disguise Self as well as it's just an actual tattoo that you can make it just change around and do whatever you want. That's actually, that's a fun little spell. That is something very cool. For a common tattoo that's only six inches of, six inches of space on the skin, something you can place under the palm, on the knuckles, uh on a leg could be a one of a leg tattoos and just a one a bunch of little just boom 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 now my question is can i have the tattoo multiple times can i have a couple masquerade tattoos that's what i want to know um that is the true question and it looks up so the next tattoo up is the spell route tattoo and it's a wondrous item tattoo the rarity varies and says the tattoo contains a single spell of up to fifth level route on your skin by a magic needle to use the tattoo you must hold the needle against your skin where you want the tattoo to appear and speak the command word the needle turns into the ink that becomes the tattoo which appears on your skin once the tattoo is on your skin you cast its spell requiring no material components the tattoo glows faintly while you cast the spell and for the spell's duration once the spell ends the tattoo vanishes from your skin the level of the spell determines the tattoo the level of the spell in the tattoo determines the spell's saving throw DC, attack bonus, a spell casting ability modifier, and the tattoo's rarity, as shown in the spell route tattoo table. All right, so basically this is a tattoo of like spell scrolls. Like you just, I guess, tattoo spell scrolls onto you. 
and you just store them. And when you cast them as if it's a scroll, it would just be casting from your body. And when you're done, it just fades away. That's cool. I like that ability. That's somewhat thing actually pretty neat and interesting. I can I can get down with that. It's actually different. It's a little neat. Uh, think of a lot of different ways that, especially now the so now this is where the idea of common tattoos uh, spell level of a can't you prefer level are common. That's only six inches. If you don't waste your body with a whole bunch of attunements of legendary or rare or like high level tattoos. You could do a bunch of smaller first level just tattoos and just start launching them. That's kind of cool. Uh, it says right here the cantrip. So it says the cantrip first and second level all have a plus three uh, attack modifier. They have a saving throw of uh, DC of 13 and an attack bonus of plus five. The level th uh, three and fourth spells are plus four have a spell save of d a spell save of 15 and attack bonus of plus seven and the fifth level spell is a rare one that does a plus five spell save of dc of 17 and a plus nine to attack um it's not bad it's not bad it's actually kind of a cool idea i really like how that is oh snaps it's actually one last one one last one so uh the spell routes are actually kind of really kind of cool and let's see the last one right here is the shadow fell brand tattoo all right so this is cool so it's a wondrous item very rare so this means very rare would be half half the torso and two limbs correct so yeah very very rare is two limbs and a torso so this does the tattoo is dark in color and abstract. While it's on your skin, you have advantage on dex stealth checks. It says, when you take damage, you can use your reaction to become shadowy and in insubstantial for a moment, reducing the damage you take by half. Once you use the reaction, it can't be used until next round. So basically, this is the uh, uncanny uncanny dodge action where you take half damage then. So it's kind of like a, you want to be a rogue, but you're not a rogue and you want one of those perks. It's kind of cool. I like this. I wonder if you could stack stack this effect with Uncanny Dodge. I wonder if that'd be allowed. That's neat to do that. I like that. So, guys, thank you for uh, tuning in for Podcasters Unearthing Arcana. I am your DM for today, Anthony Mullen. Thank you so much. Uh, please make sure to show, check us out on Facebook, the Pod-Casters Facebook page. Uh, check us out. And then also please head over to the network at PIC at BICBP-radio.com. Uh, like us on Facebook, Instagram. On the network website, we actually have a 24-hour stream going now of past episodes of different podcasts. So go check those out. Let us know what you think about them. And see you guys next week.